0: This is Health Yeah! Your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Hey everyone, welcome to Health Yeah! Your prescription for clear, concise medical health and wellness information. I'm Monica Robbins. This episode is part one of a two-part series looking into the increasing research of psychedelic substances to help people with mental health disorders. Research trials are currently underway at Cleveland Clinic looking into whether LSD can help those with generalized anxiety disorder and at Ohio State University's new Center for Psychedelic Drug Research and Education, which is looking into whether psilocybin can help veterans battling PTSD. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Deepak Sarma, a religious studies professor at Case Western Reserve University. Dr. Sarma teaches a class relating to psychedelics and spirituality. He gives insight into the history of these substances and the importance of pastoral care for people undergoing psychedelic treatment because often they have experiences that border on the divine with their God. Tell me what your specialty is. Why are we in your office?
1: Oh, I have a lot of specialties. One of my specialties is drugs, religion, and uh, um, spirituality so psychedelics and spirituality is one of my expertise these days
0: so many who might be watching or listening are going to think how are how are those three things actually connected
1: right so they are very intimately connected when we think about the history of these substances and in the past certainly thousands of years ago people consumed these substances for their transformative uh, capacities And oftentimes, these uh, transformations and the the consumption of these substances occurred within the context of what we would call now religion. Of course, religion is a relatively new construction. (laughs) But we could think of uh, what they were doing as religious. So people did these substances, consumed these substances in particular and specific sets and settings with specific guides who are trained to assist in order to attain desirable cognitive states. And sometimes these desirable cognitive states were understood, or we would understand them now, as sacred, or as a mystical experience, or as a religious experience. And that might mean kind of unifying with the divine, seeing God, all sorts of possibilities. And some even thought that these substances were divine, which is a little different. They thought these substances were, in fact, a god or a goddess.
0: And many of these cultures have not stopped using them but here in the united states they were criminalized why was that
1: right so the criminalization of these substances was a product of really two things one of them is racism right so when we think about nixon and creating the scheduled uh, drug uh, scheduled one drug um, categories that these were really to target Uh, people of color who were consuming marijuana and other substances and to put them in jail. So it was a real kind of racially motivated um, construction, shall we say. And another reason, and this I think is something particular and peculiar about um, psychedelics, is that that psychedelics are very very powerful in terms of how they can transform the mind and how they can make the mind malleable and how they can make people more open to things and even then question the things that they see. And I think that that Nixon saw that there was so much radical change happening in the late 60s early 70s and much of it was protesting against him and protesting against the uh, Vietnam War and all of these sorts of uh, other kinds of transformational movements, feminism, black power, and all of these things, people's minds were opening up. And this was a threat to the conventional, shall we say, um, uh, government for sure. And it's a real threat when, uh, when people's minds get opened up and they question the, uh, the structures that exist, the institutions that exist. And I should say, Monica, that as a professor, every class I teach, every single class I teach, my goal is to get my students to question their beliefs, to question their presuppositions. And it's a very dangerous thing to do. And substances like lysergic acid, diethylamide, DMT, psilocybin, these substances allow... People to question things they they invite people to question things they they um, are a tool that has been used historically to uh, to have to get participants to question the norm very powerful substances
0: or see things differently
1: or see things differently and when you're questioning the norm you're likely to see things differently
0: so were they used medicinally so
1: this is another great question and when we ask this question if they were used medicinally, we need to think about uh, the, the sort of creation of the category medicinal. Right? And this is a relatively new construction. People haven't used medical terminology until it was recently invented. Right? So there are some stories about people using um, these substances Uh, with intended goals of transformation to address different things that people were facing. if We think about the Native American church and the use of peyote by the Native American church which is a relatively recent development too is that uh, Native Americans uh, who are part of the church and, and consume the peyote imagine and believe themselves to be consuming the peyote to address the pain and suffering of settler colonization Right? And that's a relative, relatively new phenomenon, right? So it, if we, in, in this current moment, we have allopathic um, healthcare experts who are trying to address uh, problems that, they, um, that, that they, uh, they see in their patients, uh, let's say depression. But a really important question to ask is whether or not depression is just a relatively new construction. And if you look at uh, uh, communities and cultures hundreds of years ago, did they have an idea of depression? Or was it understood entirely differently? So when you ask Monica, was it ever used medicine, uh, medicinally, then one has to ask about, first ask about, what, what is it to be used medicinally in the first place? And were those sorts of transactions and uh, attempts at transformation um, universal or are they really particular to the current moment to
0: the, the current American European landscape I, so for a generation you and I grew up where these were criminalized and uh, frowned upon and there were a lot of misconceptions put out there what are some of the biggest that you wanna basically blow holes through sure I think that um, uh, that I've seen
1: you know, all kinds of segments on uh, sitcoms and elsewhere on, on television where uh, somebody will consume mushrooms, it's always mushrooms, and the, the, they'll be portrayed pretty much like they're drunk and they'll be portrayed as if they've uh, um, got the munchies, which people typically associate with, with not so much with psilocybin but with, with marijuana and so, they'll show somebody who is laughing and hungry and wants to eat Doritos and um, maybe stumbling around. But these substances don't really do that to you. This is a fiction. These are very powerful substances. And certainly with psilocybin, if you consume psilocybin, you're likely to get nauseous. You're not going to want to eat anything. And um, will you laugh? You might laugh a little bit. But if you really uh, uh, consume enough psilocybin such that it has uh, an effect on your cognitive capacity, then you may not even be able to stand up. You'll need to lay down in a couch, uh, perhaps have a pillow underneath you and put a blanket over you and just uh, have the experience. Uh, it doesn't involve wandering around and having a jolly time with your friend as if you were drunk and getting the munchies. These are all um, incorrect portrayals. Uh, they're really incorrect portrayals. So if these substances uh, are used properly and if you consume enough of them, you, sometimes you can't even stand up, right? You can't even stand up. So the portrayal of people on psychedelics in the, in the press and in the media and in these sort of uh, entertainment industry... Is really for entertainment and it doesn't really um, well characterize what it's like to be under the influence of these substances
0: are these substances dangerous if used improperly
1: right so the question of what is the proper and improper use of these substances is at play here right and I think that 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 they can be dangerous for sure for people who have uh, um, instabilities uh, sometimes they can evoke those, they can make those real. <laughs> they, can, um, they can make them uh, somebody who's at a particular age, let's say who might develop paranoid schizophrenia, that a, a drug like this might, might um, uh, um, uh, hasten that. Right? So I like to think of these drugs, in fact all drugs, in terms of a bell curve. Is that you really want to be right in the middle of the bell curve where it has certain impact on you and it's safe and so on. And then there are others on the bell curve who it's going to be really, really dangerous for, right? That they might really not um, uh, feel so safe anymore. They might, as I said, um, incur some kind of disorder. right? And then, of course, there's a select few on the other end of the spectrum who it has no significant effect like that on at all. Um, So I think, historically, they were done always Uh, in the proper set and setting. right? Typically in communities of people, and as I said earlier, with a guide, somebody who is an expert, who is a virtuoso, let's say, and who could anticipate uh, issues arising and could talk with people while they're having this absolutely transformational experience. And that made it very safe, much safer for sure. I think uh, I may have mentioned that, that I taught a class called Drugs, Religion, and Spirituality um, here at Case Western Reserve University, and I taught it for the third time in the fall. So I've done it a few times, and um, one of the conversations that we uh, came up with some frequency is about uh, what if these uh, d- uh, drugs or these substances, and remember that those are different things, <laughs> were made available to a twelve-year-old, to an eight-year-old, and this surely is a dangerous thing to do, and so people worried about, uh, worried my students, um, worried uh, that when asked would these substances become um, recreationally legal in the same way that marijuana has medical and recreational legalities, not in Ohio, but elsewhere, and if so then what is the opportunity and chance for somebody who's uh, young uh, and malleable in a different way, and what would be the potential um, uh, outcome, side effects. And they really did worry about that. And I worry too. Um, so they can be very dangerous. You know, all substances that you put in your body can become dangerous. These are unique because they are so transformative, they can make your mind so malleable. So open to suggestion that um, that it's it's possible and plausible that that um, uh, that you could be misled by somebody. Um, uh, it's it's really when we think about the history of LSD in particular, is that it was originally studied by the U.S. government in the so-called MK Ultra studies, and they uh, the U.S. government thought it could be used as a weapon, as a as a way of transforming people people's minds and, and even to get them to to um, to reveal secrets if they if they found a spy and they dosed them with LSD. Um, very interestingly about that MKUltra study is that you have people like Ken Kesey, who we all know and love as the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who actually was writing about that experience he had as part of the MK Ultra program when he was in California. So so its transformative capacity is something that certainly the US government has been aware of um, and in the allopathic setting right now in this current moment uh, guides, uh, healthcare guides are going to be and have been using substances like psilocybin to address um, depression in for uh, patients and participants for whom depression medications haven't worked. So these are extreme cases. Um, and uh, in such a scenario of the, the transformative capacity is clear. Is that, that, that the, 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 the experience that the patient has and the talk through, so to speak, that they have with the therapist perhaps rather than guide. Um, so really the therapist is a new version of this guide. Right? It's, uh, in, in this proper set and setting, there'll be a certain outcome Monica, my big worry about this uh, current moment is that, that as I've already said, is that historically we have uh, many different communities and uh, cultures and subcultures that believe that these substances give you a mystical experience. They give you a spiritual experience that you unite with the sacred. Now, what happens in an allopathic setting when a patient has such an experience and the therapist is there, how is the therapist going to respond? The therapist is, after all, part of an allopathic community. And I'm sure that therapists are capable of responding to religious beliefs of their patients. But would, let's say, a uh, a, uh, a therapist who's very familiar with, say, Christianity, how would he, she, they, respond to a transformative experience of a Hindu who has what one might call a Hindu mystical experience. Would that therapist be able to explain or uh, understand for that matter what that patient participant is experiencing? It's doubtful. right? It's doubtful. And if the allopathic community was uh, willing to allow other guides to uh, be a part of the of the transformative experience. Then my question would be: Is it who who gives those guides any uh, um, um, uh, well, not credibility, but but how are they chosen, right? How are they chosen? What experience do they have? And and one could say that, of course, about the allopathic guides too. How are they credentialed? Right? So really think about it in credentialed. How are they credentialed? These allopathic guides. Do you need to take these substances to be credentialed? Right? This is a good question. And if so, then given this current moment, they had to have taken them illegally, (laughs) right? And I'm reminded, Monica, of the same credentialing problem that occurred with the construction of yoga uh, uh, credentialing in the United States, is that you have all these people doing yoga, and then there's, there's an idea or perception that there needs to be some regulation. And so there's the establishment of yoga credential hood, right? But the question is, is, who has it first, right? So, who has it first? Somebody has to invent it, or you trace it in some funny way to India, in some awkward way to, you know, Vikram um, Yoga, or what have you, who knows, right? But what would you do in the context of these substances? if we're thinking about DMT and ayahuasca, are the the authentic, so to speak, guides only to be found in South America? Right? So these are really good questions and there's this absolutely fascinating um, um, industry that's developed now of credentialing guides throughout the country. You pay you know $2,000 and you can do it online, right? It's amazing, right? It's wonderful, it's exciting, but it's also kind of odd because who gives you the credentials to be able to guide somebody when they've taken this substance? And if you wants to, one was to say that you need to have taken the substance to be credentialed, that's a little odd. But I should also ask you that, 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 um, that to be a good psychiatrist and have, and treat a patient who's got paranoid schizophrenia, you don't need to be a paranoid schizophrenic. Right, so, or, and it's, uh, you know, do you have to be one to know one is the question.
0: Are you thinking though, that guides should also have some spiritual awareness? I
1: think so, I think so for sure, right? But would the allopathic guides in the, in the allopathic world embrace that? It's, it's an interesting moment where these sorts of worlds overlap, right? And one can try and imagine, in the allopathic community, no, no, we are totally secular, but it's simply not possible with these for, because of what it seems like to participants. For so many participants, these substances provide a, a kind of unity with what they believe is the sacred. They believe they're having mystical experiences. They believe this. And what is uh, the allopathic healthcare um, therapist going to say?
0: I'm interested in your take on, you know, psilocybin is now being legalized in in certain states and areas. You bet. Is this a good thing? Well, so
1: this is interesting. It's happening right now in Oregon, for sure. And I was just on the phone with my my buddies from Oregon, and they were telling me how easy it was to go and get psilocybin. You just go to a dispensary, and you can buy all the psilocybin you want. And I think that it's... um, it's, as a society, now that the door has been opened, shall we say it? Shall we say the doors of perception has been opened? <laughs> that now that it's been opened, I think that there are some potential complexities, right? So, people who are on psilocybin probably shouldn't be driving cars, right? Just like we don't uh, want people who are under the influence of alcohol to be driving a car either. Um, or under the influence to a under uh, uh, to a certain degree, right? An excessive degree, right? But it's the same thing with psilocybin, right? So should you should you um, feel okay if your if your neighbor is driving to pick up their kids and you know that they're on psilocybin, right? You know, pick up these kids from the after school activity, right? Um, these are good questions that that now that the the door have perception has been opened, um, that that the. We, we need to figure out how to regulate this or prevent bad things from happening.
0: You bring up a great point though, because microdosing right. is a huge thing right it's now. And thing. everyone's saying, well, I'm only microdosing, so right. I'm not feeling right. the typical effects that people would. Right.
1: So therein lies another great issue, right? Or not so much an issue, but, but distinction that we need to make, right? So, so we have these substances and clearly, there's, uh, there are certain uh, quantities that you can consume that take you past what's called threshold, where you have, in, for some people, it seems to them, a mystical experience. But surely, if you take less than that, you microdose, then you won't be in that threshold range, and you can function daily just as if you were taking any antidepressant or um, blood pressure medication, or what have you, right? Um, and so, so this limited amount, a smaller amount, these smaller doses is a different thing. It certainly um, they they certainly permit a kind of transformation and a, a permit the brain to work in a very different way, right? But not so overwhelming that you're at or past thresholds, right? Which, which has made me really wonder, this one question. I don't have an answer for this, so I'm really wondering. Is that the allopathic community has embraced psilocybin, right? So we have Hopkins and NYU who are doing all these psilocybin studies. And psilocybin, of course, even if taken at a, a, at a, a, in a, a large quantity, won't last you more than five to six hours, right? LSD, on the other hand, will last you 16 hours. So will there ever, at least? it mean, depending, of course, on how much you consume. So will there ever be uh, like LSD studies again? Because surely with psilocybin, if you have an appointment with a, a, a client or a patient, and it's only five hours, it's not much. Sixteen hours is a whole other thing. But lots of people are microdosing LSD. So I'd like to see more studies in this area and see how that develops.
0: We're also seeing Molly. We're right. also seeing right. uh, ecstasy, right. those sorts of things. Right. Where's, the, where's the line, or should there be one? A line for what? How far are we going to be testing, you know, chemically enhanced or chemically created substances?
1: Huh, that's a good question. So let me first say that it's wonderful that Molly and ecstasy is being used now for uh, PTSD. Um, it, is, it's, it has uh, another kind of transformative impact, different from LSD and different from psilocybin, but nonetheless transformative in a way that no other drugs that um, that have uh, that have been legal can replicate. Right. So it's a wonderful thing that these are being um, uh, experimented on in this way. And I should point out, and it's tremendously important, that between uh, nineteen uh, like you know late fifties. And, uh, and, and when Nixon made all these drugs illegal, there was lots and lots of experimentation in the allopathic communities of how could these drugs be used. Right? So it was, it's amazing. And then we had 40 years where it was illegal to do these experiments. It was, it's, it's just terrible that that happened, a terrible thing that happened. But what is the line? Well, that's a good question. What is the line? I think that, that, that the, the allopathic stem world is always experimenting. And as long as there are, are complexities that people face and people willing to, to, um, to, to risk their, their lives for the sake of this experimentation, then um, there's no limit to what kinds of substances can be um, um, researched and experimented on. If I may say that, that um, uh, a few months into uh, COVID, long time ago now, right? I volunteered to be part of the Moderna study. I was on the clinical trial for Moderna. And that was a drug that had some cognitive effect for sure. I mean, I felt pretty bad when I had the vaccine. But I, 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 I and of course, I, it made my body not feel so, so good when I took it. But I, I did it. I risked it. Right, I risked my life because I thought it was going to do good for the world. Right, so I was willing to do that because I, I, I'm thinking about the greater good. Right, I thought at least I could do this. Right, there are healthcare workers who are doing great things and risking their lives, and I felt like I needed to do something too, and I did that, and I'm glad I did it, and. Is it going to be the same case or could it be the same case with these substances? Of course. Is it, why wouldn't there be possibilities for these substances uh, and variants of these substances to to address uh, in the allopathic world um, complexities that that people are are facing. Depression, PTSD, alcoholism. After all, the the founder of um, AA was uh, had a mystical experience because of these substances and that's why he began um, the uh, Alcoholic an, uh, Anonymous program. Right? So these are powerful substances. I've had all kinds of people uh, contact me after they learned about the classes that I teach and people have already told me about different substances that are even more powerful than the ones that we, we know about and that might um, uh, might therefore have a greater impact on patients, on participants, on religious people. right? Um, so I think that the, the door is open. I mean it's already open for any other substance, but, but these substances are very powerful, very transformative, no question about it.
0: Ketamine is legal in Ohio mm-hmm. and they've been using it for a few years now. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio State just started the first psychedelic research center uh, in June and Alan Davis who was doing the research uh, at Hopkins is leading that department and they are going to be eventually testing on people I would assume. Um, What are you hoping something like that, the message it will send that okay these, these drugs, these substances are now something that can be beneficial. They're not necessarily recreational.
1: Right. So I think that that um, that that the, the shift that has to occur is with um, populations of people who are our age and a little bit older. I think younger people are already very much open to these possibilities. Right. And I think that that uh, the very fact that that the, the, the state is endorsing this and embracing this, and, and this state in particular, is, is, is fantastic, right? And ought to begin changing minds, right? Ought to begin changing minds. But there will always be, um, a, 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 uh, hopefully it'll become a minority, a minority of people who can't um, uh, grow out of, shall we say, the, the kind of stereotypes about these substances that they were confronted with and that they were um, indoctrinated, shall we say, um, in the 70s and uh, after Nixon uh, um, created the, the kind of war on drugs phenomena. And I, I think that, the, that maybe if the combination of the allopathic community and the state here uh, will help to change minds, right? um, I'm delighted that uh, that the that Ohio State is um, is is has such a center. I I was trying to get such a center here at Case, um, and lobbied for it. A, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, though with a slightly different um, orientation. Orientation uh, wasn't to endorse or it's not endorse, not to um, pursue clinical trials, but rather to think about the very issues that you and I are talking about today about psychedelics in the view of humanities and social scientists like myself, scholars in the humanities and scholars of social science, because these are questions that need to be asked and that the the, the medical allopathic stem world um, isn't asking and doesn't necessarily have the, the background to be able to ask it. Dare I say, right? I'm reminded of the stories that we hear about a great engineer or scientist who developed something without thinking about the ethical implications or the consequences and then wishing that he, she, they had taken introduction to philosophy or introduction to ethics when they were in college. Right? And then it's left to the bioethicists and the ethicists and the philosophers and the humanities and social scientists to think about it after the fact. And here's an opportunity for us to think about it together but right now, for sure, the vast majority, if not all, of the centers and the, 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 the studies of these substances have uh, relegated the humanities and social sciences to a much lower tier, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say. So I'm glad that, that Ohio State is doing it. I would have done it a little differently. <laughs>
0: Please find me on Twitter and Instagram, Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Subscribe and find video podcasts on my YouTube channel, Monica Robbins. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios.